Well, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians, and you can find chapter 2 in the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, just a heads up, as, as you're making your way there, uh, I, I have, I've con- originally the passage that we're going to look at today was originally scheduled to be this week and next week, but um, for some reason I thought I had my schedule pretty well in mind and thought they were spo- both supposed to happen on the same week. So next week, uh, we're going we're gonna to continue with the theme we've been looking at, but we're just going to do a standalone message on trying to tie everything about the end times, not everything about the end times, but trying to tie some things together to make sense of it all, especially as we're going to look as, at a pretty... Uh, um, uh, at times, complicated passage this morning. So that'll be next week. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says to them, he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Verse 4, he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you about these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And this is our passage this morning. Warren Wearsby says, the point of biblical prophecy is not for us to make a calendar, but to build character. Misunderstandings about the end times, we sometimes use the word, big word eschatology, and I'll use that every now and then. So if you hear hear the word eschatology, just know we're talking about the doctrine of the end times. Uh, Misunderstandings about the end times has caused much fear, frustration, and even folly in Christians. And none of those things is what God intends when he, when he shares prophecy about the end times or how this world is going to end. It's not what God is trying to do, not what he's trying to accomplish. He doesn't want to frustrate us. He doesn't want to cause us to fear. He doesn't, certainly doesn't want to stir up folly in us because of what he has shared. So today's sermon, as we try to make sense of everything that was going on, if, if, if today's sermon was a wordle and Okay, I heard a couple, that's enough. Uh, I heard a couple giggles out there. If it was a wordle, the word, I was trying to find a five-letter word to make this, but the word would be calm down. 
or calm, or if you could use the word relax, I, that's a five-letter word, but relax, I want to be careful about using relax because we shouldn't relax from God's mission. We just sing a song there, but the kind of the idea here is Paul is saying relax, and if you don't know what a wordle is, it's a daily challenge. You try to figure out a five-letter word, and you get six chances to do it. You get no clues, and you just have to kind of, you know, figure it out, and so, um, so that's, that's kind of the, the idea here. Calm down or relax. And like the Wordle game, you get a lot of different choices to try to land on the word. Well, I feel like for Christians, we, we, there's a lot of words that describe us when it comes to prophecy that isn't the word that God wants. Biblical prophecy tends to lead to arrogance. And that's definitely not the word God wants to use when it comes to biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy uh, tends to do a lot of other things like conspiracy. That's certainly not what God wants to do when it comes to biblical prophecy. Anxiety is another one, and that's certainly what, not what God wants to do when it comes to biblical prophecy. And so Paul is writing to this shaken and alarmed church, and he's trying to, he, again, he's writing this for a purpose, not just to give information, but to try to get them to calm down, because the church was confused about the day of the Lord. Paul had already addressed this confusion with his previous letter, didn't he? He, he, already, he already touched on it twice, actually, in the previous letter of 1 Thessalonians to try to get them to understand what God's plan was for the end times. But now he's writing another letter because apparently they, they're still not quite grasping what Paul had taught them in person. Now, Paul, when it comes to the day of the Lord, he's trying to stress to them that they don't need to worry they don't need to worry, number one, because as we saw in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, the church is going to be caught up to the Lord. And so they're going to be raptured, they're going to be gone. And then he, he says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, they don't need to worry about it, because the day of the Lord is for those who are in darkness, not in light. And that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul says, you're, you're not of the night, you're not of darkness, but you're of light. So this day, this is not for you. So he says, you're going to be raptured, you're going to be gone. He says, you're not of the darkness, uh, you're not of the night, so you're not, you don't have to worry about it. But here, this kind of gives another reason for not worrying about the day of the Lord. And it's a very interesting, it's actually the most descriptive passage we have about this man of lawlessness. We would refer to him as the Antichrist, if you've heard that phrase or that title thrown around. And he, and, he, and he gives a reason for not worrying by pointing out that this man of lawlessness, which is mentioned a number of times in this passage, has not yet appeared. He's kind of the precursor to the day of the Lord. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In verse 5, if you remember, when we were reading through that, Paul makes it clear that he says, don't you remember, I, I told you these things when I was with you. And so Paul had already shared with them about this, this uh, man before. But this man of lawlessness is the culmination, as this passage tells us, he's the culmination of all human hatred against God, and he will, in the end times, after the church is raptured, caught up in the air, unite the nations to worship Satan, or to worship him, but really Satan's tool to draw all worship to himself. So Paul is emphasizing to this confused church that they didn't miss the rapture, and they weren't in the day of the Lord because this man of lawlessness, which again, we use the, the word antichrist, has not yet appeared. And that's kind of what we're focusing on. We're focusing on a key player that happens during what's known as the seven-year tribulation period after the church is raptured. So there will be a man, he'll be a, a real human, real man, 
who will be supernaturally empowered by Satan. And this man uh, is known as the Antichrist. And if you're asking, well, where do you get the Antichrist? Because that's not used in this passage. And it's not, but again, we use it as a description. 1 John 2, verse 18 uses uh, the word Antichrist. Uh, The Apostle John says, children, it is the last hour. And as you, you have heard, that Antichrist, the Antichrist, is coming. And he says, so now many Antichrists have come, like, kind of like precursors. We've kind of seen the evil, the wickedness that a man can commit, but the real one is coming. And so th- then he says, therefore, we know that it is the last hour, okay? Because we've already got some signs that, there's, there, that it is totally possible for, for there to be a Satan-empowered, supernaturally-empowered man to unite the world, draw all worship to himself, and be the total epitome of human evil, so that's why we use the term antichrist. It's kind of a way to package a lot of different teachings from the Bible together. But it's used to describe the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. He is the last great dictator on earth. And Satan has been clamoring for the absolute worship of all people. But he doesn't have it. But there is going to come a time, and it's going to be during the tribulation, where Satan will produce this man... The Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, who will cause all people to worship Satan. And now we have to keep a couple of things in mind here. First, Paul isn't giving us comprehensive information about the end times or even about the Antichrist. Okay, so even with all that being said about who this guy is, remember Paul's focus. He's writing to this shaken and alarmed church and he's trying to get them, like our wordle is for the day, to calm down, to relax. To not be stirred, to not be shaken, to not be confused, to not be worried. He's attempting to build back, uh, build back up the faith of this young church. And so he's, he's doing that by clarifying the day of the Lord. So I want to look this morning at the, the four barriers to a calm heart as we approach the end of the world. Four barriers to a calm heart as we approach the end of the world. And number one is just that. Like we read in verse one and two, fear. Four barriers to a calm heart as we approach the end of the world. And one barrier to a calm heart is fear. And I get that word from Paul again saying, don't be so easily shaken or alarmed. Now this whole section is supplemental to to verse number five where it says that Paul told them. And we don't know what Paul exactly told them. We weren't there to listen to his sermons. But apparently he gave, you know, a whole you know, ABF class on this guy or this, these times. And when he writes to him in the letter, he just kind of gives us some bullet points. But again, it's, it's just all supplemental. And it's really distinct from many other passages concerning the end times because like I said earlier, this, this kind of gives us a lot of meat to what this guy, this man of lawlessness, this antichrist is actually like and it describes his, the character of his work in a very unique way. But Paul is stressing to the Thessalonians that the day of the Lord didn't arrive yet. It's not there. But they were convinced, as we read this, they were convinced by some false teachers that the day of the Lord was there. And they were kind of without hope and they were frightened. And who wouldn't be if you really understood what the day of the Lord is going to look like? And so Paul says concerning this time, he says, says, brothers, we ask you. He's kind of really stressing the importance here. He said, listen up here. Like, pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. This is an important thing to get right, because if you don't get this right, a lot's going to go wrong. You're going to be alarmed. You're going to be, you're going to be, and that's kind of 
thrust of the message, so I'm not just going to give it to you all right here at the beginning, but you're going to be, you're going to be alarmed, you're going to be shaken. He's telling them to calm down. They got some sort of teaching, and they did not give due consideration to the teaching. They did not think through the new teaching. And they were like this ship tossed about in the stormy seas. And it wasn't just that they received unexpected news. They received some sort of teaching that went directly against what Paul had taught them. And they just, without consideration, they kind of, they kind of absorbed the shock of it. And then it just never, it never wore off. Kind of grabbed onto it. And it threw them off balance. And, and by the time Paul writes this letter, they were, they were still kind of shaken in their boots. They were still way off balance. They, were, they still didn't have their equilibrium right. And they were just tossed about. And Paul is trying to get them to recover. And so whatever, and, and we even know that whatever it was that they heard, Paul's name was stamped on it. Right at the end of verse 2. It says, seeming to be from us. So again, it was dressed up in real nice Apostle Paul Christian language. And that's what false teachers do. They have a way of making themselves seem legit. They have a way of painting it Jesus words and God words and, and Apostle Paul words and Bible words and Christian words. But in reality, it's far from the truth. It was false doctrine. And false doctrine at least temporarily replaced the apostles' teaching in the Thessalonian church. In this new theology, they were alarmed, they were unstable in their hearts, and, and they were fearful. They thought the day of the Lord was here. Now, why is Paul's going to calm them down, but he's going to use truth. He's going to use truth. Now, why is truth necessary for Christians? Well, according to this passage, here's why truth is necessary for your life. Jesus says, uh, remember in the Gospels, John 17, he says, uh, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. Well, why is Paul using truth? Because truth produces calm. Truth produces calm in us, in our hearts. Now, we live in a world with, like, no calm. As we mentioned during pastoral prayer, even now, Russia seems poised to invade Ukraine to try to regain whatever glory it had back at the end of the Cold War 30 years ago. Other countries, other nations seem to be uh, eyeing and teetering on whether or not they're going to invade another thing. We've got a lot of things going on. And the reason why truth is necessary for Christians is because it produces calm. Now, here's, here's what Jesus says in response to a question about, so the, the disciples asked them, tell us, what are the signs of the end? Notice what he says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. He says, you will hear of wars, and what's that next phrase? Rumors of wars. And the very next thing Jesus says is, see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. So again, you're going to hear of wars, rumors of wars. And Jesus' first thought is, don't let that alarm you. Be calm. And let the truth of God's word calm your heart. Now, I just want to say, we don't know for sure that this rumor of a Russian-Ukraine war is fulfilling whatever Jesus is saying here. It could be, it could not be. We don't know. But I'm not in here to stir your minds as if to say this is happening right now. It could be, you know, whatever Jesus is talking about here when he says wars and rumors of wars, he may be thinking something 
a thousand years down the line, that might be like the actual sign, okay? So I'm not saying Russia is this or anything like this, but it's certainly, I mean, it very well could be, but it certainly at least gives us a little precursor to what is going to happen. But again, none of that's the point, is it? The point is, Jesus says, see that you are not alarmed. When it comes to you, calm down, relax. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So truth produces calm. Truth also determines hope. These Thessalonians were kind of without hope. I mean, if this was the day of the Lord, I mean, God's judgment is here. There's not much hope for a Christian in that. I mean, if they're taking part in it. Produces hope. And right now, under God's sovereign rule and choice, the world is under the power and influence of Satan. And that is going to continue until God ultimately and finally defeats Satan and this Antichrist that we read about through the Lord Jesus. Truth produces calm. Truth determines hope. Truth brings emotional stability. Truth brings emotional stability. Isn't that what we get from this passage? Or at least these first few verses. They were just totally emotionally out of whack because, of this, because they were believing false doctrine. And, God, and Paul is saying, if you know the truth, it'll, it'll even things out. And truth provides discernment. I guess another application of these two verses. Truth provides discernment. Not every sermon or letter should be considered reliable. If it's not biblical, it's not reliable. And Paul is telling them, if, it, if it's not what you heard me tell you, and he says it's something similar to the Galatians, doesn't he? If me or an angel or anybody else tells you a gospel different than what I've already proclaimed to you, it's to be accursed, to be damned, cast out, fire, hell, forever. Get rid of that teaching. And so Paul is, a, is, is showing a barrier here to a calm heart as we approach the end of the world. And one barrier is fear. The second one is found in verses 3 to 4. It's deception. Deception. And it kind of ties, ties together what we already said. But three to four, deception. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself every, over every so-called God or object of worship. That he takes, the place, he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay, so let no one deceive you. Okay? They've got to be on their guard against deception. They can't be gullible when it comes to Christian doctrine. Can't be gullible and just follow every eschatological fad or every new theological fad. They've got to be grounded in the truth. They've got to have convictions. We'll talk more about that in a minute. So Paul shares truth with them. So he says, don't be deceived. And then he gives them the truth about this day of the Lord. And he states that a couple things are going to happen. He says, first, the day of the Lord is not going to take place until the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Okay, so those are two things. Okay, the rebellion. The word rebellion is the Greek word apostasia. Maybe you hear the word apostasy in there. So that's got to happen first. First, there has to be an apostasy. Well, what is the apostasy? Again, we don't necessarily know for sure. There's a lot of different viewpoints out here, but here's, here's where I land. Here's what I think the apostasy is. It's from 1 Timothy. Uh, it gives us an insight. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 gives us an insight. Where it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart. Same Greek word, apostasia. Some will apostatize from what? 
the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. Oh, there's that word, deception. Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. So I think the apostasy is not that unbeliever, you know, or believers lose their salvation, but that there are those who are going to call themselves Christians. In reality, they're not, and they're going to walk away from the, I think there's going to be a big church emptying this apostasy. It will be a departure from the faith by those who profess to be followers of Jesus. And then after that, this man of lawlessness will be revealed. And again, if we're we're tying all different passages of scripture together, this is after the church is raptured. That's not in this passage. I don't think you find the rapture in this passage because that's not Paul's point. Okay, he's talking about something else. If we tie all scripture together, after the rapture, we'll be caught up with the Lord in the air, and then the judgment will come, the day of the Lord will come, and the man of lawlessness will be revealed. A specific time, a man who is the full epitome of human evil and human sin, he is totally evil in his character, and as we we read later on, he is a man uh, in whom the power of Satan is fully concentrated. Yet Paul says he's heading for destruction. This man... Verse 4, empowered and energized by Satan will oppose any religion that worships God. Not just Christianity, any religion. And he's going to get rid of it all. Because this is the last great world dictator. He's going to get rid of all of it. And he's going to portray himself, notice what it says here. He's going to portray himself as God. He's going to exalt himself above every so-called God. He's going to take his seat in the temple of God. Again, even some things, what does that really mean? You know, we may not know the specifics of what it means to take a seat in the temple of God, but the idea here is what the next phrase says. He's going to proclaim himself to be God. And all the world is going to buy it. So you're going to see a man, and as we'll see later, supernaturally empowered by Satan, draw all worship to himself. So Paul, again, he's saying all this because he doesn't want them to be deceived about the day of the Lord. As this guy opposes all religion. And as one commentator puts it when he describes this guy, this Antichrist is Satan's parody of the true Messiah. So he takes the throne in some sort of official capacity and he calls himself God. Now, deception. How do we counter deception? How do we make sure that we aren't deceived? Well, We need the truth. Again, we need truth. Because we need truth not just to calm our hearts, like we just saw when there's fear, but we need truth to give us convictions. Convictions. Truth establishes convictions. Now, these Thessalonians, their buy-in to false doctrine revealed that they had unstable convictions. They didn't really know what to believe. They were all over the place, even though Paul had repeatedly told them, uh, you know, about this stuff before. And we need truth because we need convictions. If there's one great need in the church today, it's convictions. And the longer we try to keep up with the culture and try to figure out how to, how to make make provisions for what the culture is teaching us, the, the, the further away we will get from godly, biblical, truth-centered convictions. And we'll be unstable. But just like, it's just like gravity, right? Truth has got to be our gravity. 
We must have a center of gravity in truth. If not, we're going to gravitate towards any message or fad that catches our eye. Now back to Matthew chapter 24, verses 3 and 4. This is, this is the immediate context uh, right before what we just read uh, from Matthew 24, verse 6. Okay, so this is what I was explaining to you. Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when, when will these things be? Okay, what, what's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Notice Jesus' first answer again. It's, I think it's always, you, always, you should always focus on how Jesus first responds to something. Because the first thing he says, hey, tell us, tell, us the end, tell us the end times. Tell us what should we be looking for. How do we know when the end is coming? The first thing he says is don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. Have the truth. Have convictions. Be rooted in the truth. See that no one leads you astray. Don't be gullible. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. People are going to slap a lot of Jesus language and a lot of Jesus titles on a lot of things. And it's going to lead people away from Christ. The irony. They're going to put Jesus language on non-Jesus things to get you to go away from Jesus. What can you trust? You can trust the Bible. You can trust God's word. So what are barriers to a calm heart as we approach the end times? Number one is fear. And we need to replace that fear with the calm the truth brings. The second was deception. And we need to replace deception with the conviction that truth brings. There's yet a third one. It's in verses 5 through 8. That is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. That's how Paul starts out verse 5. Don't you remember Don't you remember? Have you forgotten? I already told you this. Although I don't think he was that frustrated. He was probably a little more brotherly. He probably wasn't like, are you kidding me? I can't believe I'm telling you this again like we would be. He's probably a little more brotherly. Like, hey, I I already told you this. There's a little bit of a rebuke in here as well. But they just needed to simply remember and apply what Paul had already taught them. Solves half our problems, doesn't it? If we just simply remember and apply what God tells us in his word, we're 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 so forgetful. We're so forgetful. Now, we need to remember that this is, a, remember this is a brand new church, brand new Christians, yet Paul didn't think that they were, you know, too young or too young in the faith to hear about these important truths for believers. And so Paul, further again, he, he, said he's, he doesn't want them to forget, so he, he talks a little bit more about what he said. Okay, the work and the character of this Antichrist by reminding them that there's currently a restraint holding the Antichrist back. Again, a whole another jumble of things we could say about that. But here's, here's what I think he's saying. And I think the restrainer, the one restraining him, is the Holy Spirit. Because who else can restrain the work of Satan other than the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit is currently restraining him. Okay? The Holy Spirit is holding back the power and plans of Satan. Why? Well, the purpose of this restraint is so that the man of lawlessness can be revealed at the proper time. There is a calendar, and there is a time frame, but uh, God hasn't revealed that to us. Only Only God knows it. So this lawless one... Uh, you know, there's already certain aspects we've talked about, but this, this uh, verse 7, notice what it says here. The mystery or the secret of lawlessness is already at work. Okay, there's already this sort of 
sinfulness. There's already certain aspects of this lawless one. There's already kind of been world dictators that have shown just how evil they can be. There's already been world dictators that, show, that, that, that can show how they so quickly can unite people around an evil intent. Think of Hitler. Think of how quick and how fast that guy got so many people to rally around his his plans and his evil schemes, okay? This is going to be times 1,000 when it comes to the Antichrist. So we've already kind of seen some of this stuff. But it's being restrained. And Satan is actively promoting this same spirit of lawlessness. He's actively promoting the sin and the evil and the wickedness. But one day the Holy Spirit is going to drop the restraints. And remember, the church is going to be gone and there will be a satanic-inspired evil on a worldwide scale. That's what's coming. That's what's coming. And I say, well, what does this have to do with forgetfulness? Well, truth is needed to provide us with those biblical concepts that we can be mindful of, that we can remember. We need the truth. We need the truth at every point in this When it comes to the end times, we need to remember who it is ultimately about. Just as one kind of branch off, you're going to know the truth. What do we need to know the truth of? We need to remember the truth of what the the end time is ultimately about. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it says in verse 8 that this lawless one is going to be revealed. And this is the guy the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth. And he's going to bring to nothing by the appearance of his kingdom. The breath of his mouth. Just think about that. This isn't going to be some long, drawn-out Thor versus Captain America sort of fight where they trade blows back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until one's eventually the winner. This is one word. And this most powerful This most supernaturally powerful human being, empowered and energized by Satan himself, will be brought to nothing with a simple word. We need to remember that ultimately at the end of this, our Lord Jesus Christ will stand. We need to remember that. One of the things that the Thessalonian church needed to do was to wait because I think when we forget, we quit waiting. We need to wait on the Lord. That great Behold Your God chapter of the Bible that we read in Isaiah 40 just uh, earlier in the service. It speaks, you, you, you heard in there how God is going to bring the princes, he's going to bring the nations to nothing. They're like emptiness to him. And then it ends, that chapter, with a well-known couple verses, Isaiah chapter 40. Even youths shall faint and be weary. So what's kind of the point? God is, God is eventually just going to make all princes nothing, all nations nothing. And, th- and remember, this is, this is Isaiah giving hope to the people in exile. He says, we're going to grow faint, we're going to grow weary. That's going to happen. We're going to fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They, they shall mount up with ling- wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. To wait for the Lord means, in part, to remember that Jesus gets the final say. That's what Isaiah chapter 40 is all about, isn't it? God gets the final say. When it comes to the nations, when it comes to the princes, when it comes to you and me grasshoppers hopping around in our little countries, God gets the final say. 
And when it comes to this passage, and it comes to all the world, and this little grasshopper known as the Antichrist hopping around, making everybody, not making, causing, leading, showing everybody to worship Satan, Jesus Christ gets the final say because he's going to use his word. He's going to defeat him. And we'll grow weary and we'll stumble until then, but those who wait on the Lord, hope in the Lord, remember that Jesus gets the final say. They will renew their strength. Forgetfulness just drains spiritual strength. We need to remember who will stand victorious in the end. Let's look at the final thing here. The final barrier. Number four, unbelief. Four barriers to a calm heart as we approach the end of the world. One is fear. Two is deception. Three is forgetfulness. And number four is unbelief. That's what Paul spends these last few verses. Verse nine. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them, the ones that are refusing God, the ones that love unrighteousness, he sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. What it's saying here is there's, there's coming a time where it's just, it's going to be too late. And those who hate the truth, those who refuse to love the truth and be saved will get such a delusion that their end will be to be condemned, verse 12, because they did not believe the truth, but they had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the lawless one comes in the power of Satan. Remember, this is during the tribulation. The church is raptured and out, and now the day of the Lord is in full swing. The day of the Lord, tribulation begins with the revealing of the Antichrist, He's in full agreement, in full harmony with Satan, and he's endued with satanic supernatural power. He performs real miracles and real signs, but they are counterfeit in that they don't really show that he is God. I mean, they do to the people who are blinded, but in reality, when Jesus comes and just wipes them out, with, I mean, he's going to show to be a counterfeit. He doesn't really have ultimate authority. Now, the world is going to be astonished at this man's mighty works, But he's going to be shown to be insignificant when Jesus returns and destroys him with the word of his mouth. The Antichrist operates, this man of lawlessness, Antichrist, whichever phrase you want to use, operates with miracles and deception and wickedness and evil and deceives and misleads those who are perishing. Those who are perishing are those in these verses that refuse to willingly give themselves to the Lord Jesus and to believe the gospel. They close their hearts to the truth while on this earth before the rapture, while the church was still here. They heard the gospel, and all of a sudden the church is gone. This this antichrist comes. They refuse to love the truth. They refuse to believe the gospel, and so they're given over to this, 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 this false worship, at least most people in the world. They close their hearts. They desired falsehood, and there will be this condemnation for those people. Now I think there will be people saved during the tribulation. But during the tribulation, most people will refuse to believe the gospel. They'll be given over by God to a strong delusion and will, as a result, be kept from seeing the truth. They believe what is false. They believe a lie. What lie do they believe? What lie is it that they're believing? It's the same lie that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. You will be like God. 
That's what Satan told Eve. It's the same lie that Paul picks up on in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the lie. That's the lie. It's resistance to submission to God. It's an effort to convince ourselves that we're not the creatures. But listen, the most fundamental thing about you is that you are created, and I am created. And this lie and this rejection is saying, no, I'm not a creature. I, I build my own world, and I can build it, and I can run it, and I own it, and I'm the ultimate authority. And they'll continue to refuse to believe and love unrighteousness. So if that's you, you need what we've been saying all along. You need the truth. Because the truth is, you and I are creatures made by God, the creator. Truth is, we have all gone our own way and strayed from God. We seek to put God on our terms and worship the things of this world instead of God. The truth is, we all deserve eternal punishment away from the presence of God. And the truth is, Jesus, God in flesh, came to this world. He lived a perfect life, never strained from the Father's will. In truth, the truth is, he died on the cross as a substitution for the condemnation we deserve. The truth is, he rose from the dead after he was put in the tomb. And the truth is, he is Lord, and he deserves full worship, full devotion, full trust from us forever. And the truth is, if you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again, you will be saved. Now, Christians, as we conclude this morning, the Bible seems to imply that the activity of Satan is going to intensify as the end draws near. Be watchful. Be watchful. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, and he's going to crank up that intensity as the end gets closer and closer and closer. And while it may be unlikely that the Lord returns in our lifetime, he may be a thousand years out. That doesn't change our responsibility to resist the devil now and draw near to God. We are going to hear and experience things that we have never heard before, we must be calm. We must rest in biblical conviction, convictions. We must have Christ. You must have Christ. The point of this prophecy is to instill godly character in you. Not to freak you out. Not to get you going to the news and trying to figure out how you can fit Russia into this timeline. It's to instill in you godly character. A man or a woman of God who is calm, who has convictions, who trusts Christ. A truth-gravitated heart. Jesus is always our remedy. He is the source of all truth. He is the truth. In him we have hope. In him we have confidence. Let's pray. Lord, there's a calendar you have set up and so many things we try to piece together. But ultimately, you know what's going to happen. A lot of things are confusing. A lot of things seem kind of weird to us. But Lord, help us not lose sight as uh, we go back to that Warren Wearsby quote that you gave us biblical prophecy. You gave us a prophecy about the Antichrist. Not because you want us to go make a calendar. Because you want to build godly character in us. So God, when it comes to the end times, yes, when it even comes more generally the broad things of our daily life, get rid of the fear 
by the calm that your truth brings. Lord, get rid of the deception. Get rid of our, of our, our proneness to be so gullible. Get rid of it with the truth that your, the convictions that your truth brings. Lord, help us not to forget that you will stand victorious at the end of all this stuff. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know Jesus, that, you would, that they would have Christ. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.